to the show. Paul George here talking all things art of living. Good friend of mine, Adam Conk. Adam, I've been promoted to good friend? Well, oh my word. I guess I couldn't think of another When title did this for happen? <laughs> I guess you can only introduce me so many ways. So many ways. <laughs> and the more gray that you get in your beard, the more that we sort of seem like we're the same age, but we're not. We're not, but we're not that far off. For example, when we're in the nursing home, which we could be in the nursing home together at some point. Right, you never know. Because of the age difference is not that great. Ten years. Right. I mean, you could be 95, and I could be 85, and we could be... Dude, if I'm still rocking it at 95, watch out, world. I think you're going to go through this, like... Whoa, here you go. Maybe around 65, 70, this whole, like... I'm ready to take on life in a whole new way phase. I see you doing that. Like catch my Skydiving. Like, I know you're afraid of heights, but let me conquer all those fears. You know? Yeah. I could totally see you doing that. Yeah, okay. And then by 95, you're just... Well, when you get older, you have nothing to lose, man. Right. You know, so I think like a lot of people catch their second win. They're like, who cares, man? I'm, I'm just going to go at it. And that's, you know, like statistically, you find the largest group of like, volunteers or missionaries Mm -hmm. or people who are retired retired age yeah they get to the back end of their life and they're like i want to do something with purpose i have nothing to lose my kids are grown i'm ready to i'm ready to do something radical some people sell everything they have volunteer go on mission Mm -hmm. go live in africa i like it's crazy yeah it's a beautiful time of life and i mean we've this is a new thing to humanity because Life expectancy was so much lower back in the day, and mm-hmm. people really didn't... I mean, the wealth we've generated as a society is staggering if you look at the type of life we can give ourselves at right. that time. Right. So as people save their money and earn their money... I mean, let's say you retire at 65. Yeah. Actually, people... You you die know, my generation of people aren't retiring at the at the clip that, you know, the generation ahead of me is mm. um, just because of the way the economy is. And so there's a lot of people in my generation and probably yours that really are looking at retirement as an impossibility. Yeah. But at least working less is going to be possible. Working less, yeah. Having more time. Mm-hmm. And obviously, with when you don't have kids at home, you have more time, right. yada, yada. But anyway. Getting into hobbies. But uh, it's a beautiful time for the church, I think, because you're right. We do have this army of volunteers, but also people with um, life experience and wisdom. And we need a lot of that in the church right now. Yeah, and I'm one of the the topics we're going to talk about today. I'm going to bring this up. Ooh, Uh, We're going to talk about a really interesting person in history that's going to make us feel a little motivated, a little uncomfortable. But uh, did I ever tell you this story? What did you say? That is so interesting. For real, though? I'm deadly for real. Does that make sense? Deadly for like, real? Like, so for real it could kill you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so did I ever tell you the story of me meeting the Pope? No. Which uh, Pope? Pope John Paul II. No. Who's now uh, a saint. You touched him? Apparently. Yeah, so in 1993, I went to Denver, Colorado, and they had World Youth Day then. Yeah. And Pope John Paul II came for a visit, and there were millions of people. Millions. Right? I'd never seen the Pope really... Back then, like when you talked about like whether it be famous people, but even like obviously popes or whatever, there was no social media, internet. Like you didn't follow, see the. You may pope, have you seen know? like a couple of videos, but that was it. A couple of videos, maybe nightly news every now and then. Mm-hmm. But honestly, like unless it was something big, like you really never really um, 
heard much of the Pope or saw pictures, but for some reason, John Paul II was um, very much talked about because he was the most traveled Pope in history yeah. at that time. And, and so there was a lot of excitement. And plus, he loved the youth, right? And so the having the World Youth Day, millions of people, yada, yada. So we gather in Denver, Colorado, and... You know, he's on a stage about a million miles away. He looks like a Q-tip, <laughs> a little small white thing. And uh, But he decides to get in his mobile and drive around. So they barricaded, like, lanes, and he was driving through the people. And he decided, I don't know he did it, but he did it. I don't know who did it. Took off, like, the glass casing off of the mobile. Mm-hmm. Which, did you know that thing's bulletproof? Yeah, because of John Paul II getting shot in 81. Yeah, he so... John Paul II was shot once and stabbed once. Gosh. Did you know that? I didn't know about the stabbing. So he was stabbed once, and nobody knew till after Mass. He wasn't feeling well. Somebody had, had like, stabbed him. We'll look it up. Gosh. And uh, underneath, like, all of his, you know... Vestments. Vestments and garments and all that, he was, he was bleeding. It wasn't, obviously, a fatal wound, but it was a stab wound nonetheless. Right, I have not been shot or stabbed. No, for the faith. No. Okay, so a lot of people look at like the Pope and be like, "Oh, he just lives a life of comfort." This guy put himself out there in dangerous situations, so he take they take the glass casing off, which I'm sure like the Secret Service didn't want to do. No, but he's like, "No, I want to be with the people." So he drove around, and uh, you know, people are screaming and hollering. He's getting close to us, and you know, there's people from all over. Yeah, take that, Bon Jovi. Yeah, screaming and hollering for the Pope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People are screaming in all different languages, and I'm just like, what's the big deal? And I'm tall, I can see over everyone, so he's That's getting, right. getting closer. You don't know what it's like. <laughs> I don't know what it's like. And uh, there's like these little, I don't know, they're maybe from Mexico or Spain, or Latino, they're speaking Spanish, mm-hmm. and they start yelling like, you know. Papa! Yeah, viva la papa! <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they're excited. Excited, they're crying, crying, and I'm like, what's going on, you know? And so finally, like, I, um, I pushed them out of the way. You pushed yeah, those poor people out of the way? I got to I pushed them out of the way. The ones that were more excited than you? you yeah. Just, yeah. Wow, okay. I, and then I got to the barricade. You did it. You yeah. did what you had to do. And then I found myself just caught in the moment. You ever been caught in the oh, moment? Oh, yeah. You know, and so I just scream, Viva la Popa. You know, Viva la Popa. And what language and is I, that? Wait, and I swear <laughs> to you, I swear to you for one moment, like he like looked at me like, what? Because he, he's like, what did you just say? So, so Viva la Popa, I found out, means long live the potato. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so so I you could, caught his attention. <laughs> I called the Pope a potato. He's like, are you referring to my white outfit? What? Long live the potato. That's what mm. I said. I said long live the potato. That's beautiful. I called the Pope a potato, and I didn't know. Yeah. And I was wondering, why did he look at me? <laughs> kind of strange. What is wrong with this But man? anyway, he touched my hand. And, you know, like, you know, we, I guess it makes me like a third class. Which relic. hand? Left. I think it's the left. I think it's the left. Wow. So anyway, la popa means the potato. El popa means the pope. Papa? Popa or papa. Papa. Depending on Spanish or Italian. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so these, like, these were... Long live the potato. You long live the potato or long live the Pope. That sounds like a... I mean, it's close. Cool t-shirt I don't know in make. English, like, if there's, like, a close, like, conjugation like that. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. in, in other languages, like, it's close. It's like the conjugation changes by one little la or right. l, 
and it changes the whole phrase. Right. It could either be long live the potato or long live the pope <laughs> by one little la uh, or L. Yeah. Now, the closest thing we have probably is things like moose, which could either be an animal or a chocolate dessert. Right. But that's, that's about good. as close as we get. That's good. You're probably better at this than, than me. What? Give me another You want one. more of those? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, the bank could be a spot on a river or a place where you put your money. That's confusing to people who that don't speak confusing. English. Yeah. yeah. Which, mm. I mean, if you're going to put your money on a bank on mm. the river, it could make sense if you bury it, I mm. guess. So, it, you know, it could confuse people if you tell them to go put your and money And there's the phrases bank. like trucked. Yeah. Trucked. Like a truck is a truck, but you can get trucked if, like, I ran over you. It's a phrase. That's right. I trucked you. That's right. So somebody who didn't speak English would be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Honestly, though, Paul, I think you're touching on something that us Catholics in America don't consider enough because we're so kind of tunneled vision to our Catholicism. But whenever we read a document... Mm-hmm. or anything, yeah. the translation is a big deal. We don't think it is, but English really is very different from right. other languages, the Romantic languages or whatever. And not that we all need to be linguistic scholars to read an encyclical or something like that, but what I am saying is a lot of us get in a huffy-puffy mm-hmm. about an imprecision of language in particular from the Pope or other things. Um, now, to be fair, that's also true of other languages, but what I'm saying is Maybe we should pay a little more attention to the fact that English is so different, and maybe we're not reading it the way it was written, or the translation doesn't quite convey. Yeah, I mean, you're touching on, on a sensitive topic, which we can get into, I'm not afraid, but you could even take that with Scripture. Right. Like, making sure that that the Bible, you have the right interpretation of the Bible, because if you, you imagine, like, the translations that have been passed down generation to generation, century to century... Like, mm-hmm. to have the closest of the translation to the original language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, s- s- some of the, the original writers were Arabic or Greek or Hebrew. Like, like to be able to translate that into the right English of what we have. It's tough. And there's some, you know, there's, there, there's some interpretations of the Bible that are, like, really far away. Like, they just, yep. they're made-up words in a sense of, like, the original. And it's not like it... You know, you can't make sense of it, but it's like, no, nah, that's not really what Jesus said, and he didn't say it like that. Yeah, and not that you need to know the whole Bible in Greek or Hebrew, but some phrases are important, and there's articles written about this so we can educate ourselves, you know? Because to translate into English, sometimes you have to make a theological decision. For example, right. um, in Genesis uh, 3.15, it says, um, you know, this is the, the first gospel, as it's called, but it says, uh, to the woman... Um, I mean, to the devil, you will strike at her heel while she strikes at your feet. Yes. Or it could say his heel while he strikes at your feet, because the Hebrew word used is not specific. It's a pronoun that could go he or she. Mm-hmm. And so you can read it in such a way that's talking about Mary. That could be accurate. Right. Or in such a way it's talking about Christ. Or it's talking about the church. Like, right. there's all kinds of ways to read it. But when you translate it, you have to pick he or she. And so as we take he, that's like making a theological decision. Oh, it's talking about Christ. Right. Right. Or she could be talking about Mary or the church or something like that. Yeah, that's why, like, oftentimes if I'm going to write a paper on something or if I'm going to give a talk on Scripture, on maybe a certain passage or a certain thing that Jesus said or even Old Testament, like, I'm going to take some time Mm -hmm. to do a correct exegesis, like an explanation on that. But some of that might just be me taking some time to say, okay, Jesus said this word. 
Yeah. What does that actually mean in the original language, in yeah. the Greek or the Hebrew? Like, what does it mean? And so when Jesus is saying this or this phrase, like, I could read it in the English and it means something that I am interpreted by, but what Jesus actually meant, you know? And I'm not I'm not just going to go back, you know, 100 years. I'm not going to go back even 1,000 years. I'm going to go back, like... To the deepest meaning of to it. To the yeah. deepest meaning of it, you know, and, and try to interpret it as close as I can, um... To, to what Jesus actually said or what what the Old Testament is saying. Educate what yourself. It, what it's meaning. And I'm not going to what you would call proof text. Yeah. So proof texting is there's a word or one sentence, one phrase, um, one verse. And proof texting is simply just popping that out of Scripture and interpreting the whole package uh, passage just from that one word mm-hmm. or one text. So if we proof text, then we're simply just we're just misinterpreting the whole, right? Right. And so to not do that, you have to zoom out and say, well, you know, Jesus talking about, you know, whatever he's talking about the 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 wine and the you know the vine and the branches. Mm-hmm. You know, like what what was he saying? Like let let's zoom out. Let let let's begin to zoom out. I can't just take that. You know, um, where was he at the time yeah. when he was saying that? What, what was his journey like? You know, where's the Old Testament tie-in to that scripture, yada, yada? Yeah. And again, we don't have to read the whole Bible in, in the original language, but I think you've done a good job of this in your book to put you on the spot a little bit and embarrass you a little. But I think you did a good job of this, is that when you're going to build your whole life or ministry or work on a central idea that Jesus said, let's say conversion, right, in your book, for example, it'll be worth it to look at the word that was used, metanoia, mm-hmm. and explore its meaning in its original context because it'll, gi- because it'll give you insight that makes what your work credible and make sure you're on the right track and make sure you're as close to Christ as you can be. So not every word needs to be like that in your mind, but those key ones that the Lord is calling you to and the work he's calling you to do in the church, we need to educate ourselves and not just take you know, the English translation and run with it, but get to the deepest meaning of what Jesus is actually saying. Yeah, and if you don't want to read or interpret or educate yourself, that's fine. Just get the right interpretation, the yeah. right interpretation of Scripture, or hang out with people who are educated and ask them the questions, right? Like, so yeah. let other people do the work for you. Or read the book. What do you think read, happens? Or read the book. All right, so anyway, uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Paul and Adam. The Paul and George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George, in studio with, well, I called you my friend. No, you said good friend. Good Don't friend. demote me. Okay. Now, what are you now? Companion. Am I? Co-host. This is exciting. El producer. I just sit here and I get promoted. La produso. Ah. The produce. Or el produso <laughs> means the, producer. the cabbage or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just not the potato. <laughs> Patat in French is potato. Ah. 
I've heard that my whole life, and I just yeah. Someone took called it me granted. a big patat one time. I was like, "What's a big patat? It's a big potato." Yeah. Does that mean I'm big and fat? Like I don't know. No, you'd be one of those long potatoes. Not so. The fat I one. took French in high school. I mean, it was required. So back in the day, like you know, I'm from Louisiana. You are, but French mm-hmm. was a big deal. Probably Spanish is more used, obviously. So. I took French in high school and then I took Spanish in college and I would I would often just confuse the two like words and conjugations. Mm-hmm. I and I, I can never still get it right. So like I I can say something in French and Spanish and not know what I'm doing. Beautiful. The potato. The potato. Yeah, the pope's a big potato. <laughs> <laughs> uh so anyway, um we were having this conversation at lunch the other day and you know, it's it's often like in in the time and season of our world today, right? And then you even drill down even even further in the time and season of the church today, the global mm-hmm. church, mm-hmm. right? As Christians, is people are still attracted today by people who are radically living the faith. Yes, there, there's something very beautiful and attractive by it. And we were talking about a particular person that you and I both know, um, who's living this faith, this, you know, and I've often said with, with the scandal in the church and, and just all these things and going on all this controversial, all this division on theology and methodology that I think the real issue, uh, and we could talk about, there's tons of issues, but I think one of the real issues is that it's a real discipleship issue in a sense of, we have people who are in leadership and myself included, right? I'm not in high leadership and yourself included. Like we have to all look in the mirror and say, am I following Jesus? Am I a disciple of Christ? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Am I radically following Jesus? And and really, like if you were to trace any scandal in the church, it's like, well, when there's scandal, whether it's, you know, from leadership, lady leadership, whether it's clergy, whether it's a pastor, a priest, a, a car, it, that person, uh, for some reason, was not radically following Christ. Right. Right. Like something happened. They got derailed. Yeah, like starting in the beginning, Judas. Yes. The scriptures literally says Satan entered into him. Yes. Right? He got derailed. Like he yeah. was around Christ. And like I'm not certainly here to, you know, to judge his eternal soul, but what I'm saying is that like in that moment he was not following In the that Lord. moment yeah. he was not following Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And even the disciples who struggled to follow Jesus, at least they stayed. At least they didn't, you know, at least they didn't uh, you know, allow Satan to 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 do in them what what he did in Judas, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have a discipleship issue. Yeah, you know, I was talking to someone recently who's very passionate about church scandal and um, prone to big action about it sure. as a layman. Right. And I said, you know, for me, the number one problem in all of this is holiness. But again, I define holiness as following Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he looked at me with confused eyes. like that. Did you truck so- him? That's something we need to know. Did you call him a big potato? No, and, I, and I'm not saying that um, in a derogatory way toward him. I, no, certainly. Everybody's got their own opinions. Yeah, on, but on for things. him, holiness was something to be dealt with after certain structures or certain people were dealt with. But to me, the the core of it all is that systemically, and I don't mean, I'm not saying certain people aren't following Jesus. 
Pope Francis might be closer to, you know, doing exactly what Jesus wants him to do every single day. I have no idea. You I'm know? not around him. Not around him. Um, you know, the, the bishops and cardinals of the church that everybody is in a tiffy about, they might be doing exactly what Jesus asked him. I have no idea. But it appears systemically, institutionally as a church, in a lot of our structures, at least in the Roman rite, because again, when we say church, it's so big, but at least in the way we set up things with parishes and dioceses and Episcopal conferences, their holiness seems to be an, an exception to the rule. Right. Not the norm, or no, not the expectation. And that's exactly either. my point, is that people are attracted to holiness. There's mm-hmm. something that, that like grabs them when, when they see someone who's living radically for Christ. And that shouldn't be the exception. It should be the norm. Right. And it's oftentimes when we meet someone in leadership, a pastor, a priest, a cardinal, or even a layman, uh, and we're like, man, they're like radically seeking holiness. It's almost like we're surprised by it. Yep. When it should be the norm that if you're a Christian, you should be pursuing that, right? Yeah. And and if you're in leadership, you should be pursuing it even harder. Why? Because you have a responsibility. Gospel tells us too much is given, much is expected. Like yeah. it's not like, hey, I'm handing you leadership, do do nothing with it. Like you're stepping into leadership, like and you don't think that Satan's gonna come after you to try to clip your your legs from under you and take you out. Mm-hmm. You're crazy. Yeah. Like the reality is this is if when you're when you're a Christian like Satan's coming after you mm-hmm. like in little ways big ways to take you out of the game when you're in leadership oh all hands on deck don't think you're stronger than Judas don't think you know and so like pursuing holiness is even greater and if you don't think holy people suffer you know in that holiness because they could take it easy yeah right they could kick back right and so yeah. we were talking about this one you know religious that we know, but you know, just recently we celebrated as a church the the feast of a radical saint, Saint Francis of Assisi. Mm-hmm. Saint Francis is not Assisi. He's not a sissy. He's not a sissy. But he's from Assisi. But he's from Assisi. <laughs> yeah, he was actually my confirmation saint, and it's weird how, um, you know, sometimes saints choose you and you don't know why in the moment, and then it becomes clearer later, but. Right. I personality wise, I don't think me and Saint Francis would be accused of like kindred spirit. Right. You know, like as far as that you know. That I know. I mean right. I didn't hang out with him. Right. But just reading about his life and um how people respond to him and, and his priorities, I guess. <clears throat> For example, a lot of people attract this to Saint Francis because of his love in, of the environment or um, his peacekeeping abilities or these kinds of things. His love of animals. His love of animals, which is great. Not that I don't love animals, but... And look, half that stuff we don't even know. Yeah. Honestly. But what struck me about six months before my confirmation or whenever I had to pick my... I mean, was I had seen a, a, a movie about St. Francis and this call to rebuild the church and his generosity to do that, his generosity to follow Jesus, whatever it took. Right. That's what inspired me. And... I found out later, of course, more about him, and as I get older, <clears throat> I appreciate him more, but I also am glad that that's my confirmation saint. Yes. You know? Well, there's some key things about Francis, you know, that, that we can highlight. I mean, we could talk about it forever, but one, you know, he was a disciple of Jesus, radically living his life for Christ. That looks different in his life than it's going to look in mine or yours. And, you know, oftentimes we think of someone who's living in holiness or discipleship, that it's a formula. Right. And... 
by the grace of God, we're all called to live out our holiness in different ways, right? Some people, obviously, like religious in, in much different ways. But Francis, I mean, he had, a, he had a past, he had a history, he was, you know, he stories of him being a sinner before his conversion, mm-hmm. came from a wealthy family. He didn't want to take over his father's business. He wanted to be, uh, he wanted to, you know, be a knight. Mm-hmm. And so he joined a battle. And they said he was like such a horrible soldier because he wasn't trained, (laughs) but he had all the nice garb on, like he had all the nice like Mm -hmm. night stuff on. He liked the nightlife. That (laughs) that uh, (laughs) he did like the nightlife, and that that he got captured. And the reason they didn't kill him, like one of the stories, is the reason they kill him is because he had all this stuff on that was worth money. So they're like, oh, this guy's probably rich, and (laughs) so more out of him. Yeah, they have a ransom for him, and he was in prison for a year while he wrote his dad to pay a ransom. Finally, his dad paid a ransom, got him out of prison. So once he got out of prison, like, he was never the same. Like, 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 you know, like, his priorities had shifted. In a sense, he had a conversion yeah. of, like, priority. You know, he began to, you go to prison, like, you have some time to rethink your life, right? Yeah. Well, and, and I think St. Francis is a great example of what we all need to hear right now is that God has to renew the church. Yes. That's the only way. So what's the difference between St. Francis and other soldiers that were prisoners of war at the time or injured at the time? Not much, other than God had a plan for Francis, and Francis was willing to listen to it. God did it, you know? Yeah, yeah, Um, absolutely. Francis was willing, and he said yes, and he followed the Lord. But I think we forget, especially right now as a church, God has to show up. None of us are going to solve this problem. None of us. No, none of us are going to solve the problem. We can all, here's how we solve the problem, if we want to say solve the problem. Mm. If we all work on our own personal holiness. Yep. And we follow Jesus, like honestly. Then it like lets him do it. That, and it lets yeah. him do that. And that's that's story of Francis. A, lo, a lot of times we look at the outcome of Francis. So we say, mm-hmm. oh, he was so radical. He sold everything. I could never do that. And I want to drill down a little bit because I think there's so much we can relate to. First, Francis just said yes. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, God said, you know, rebuild my church. And Francis just said yes. And actually, the first yes that he did, like his yes was good, but he got the the details. He got the details wrong. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you know that, right? I mean, you know that, but God said, rebuild my church. So Francis started actually building a church, St. Dominic. Yeah. In Assisi. Like, he just started putting like, like concrete bricks together and actually building a church. Yeah. And most of us are going to get it wrong right now, too, if we feel called to do something for the church. We're going to start. Just right? say yes, though. But just say yes. It just, doesn't matter. Just say yes and, and live for Jesus. And if, it's, and if it's not like the outcome or if it's not the exact thing, like, it's okay. You know, I got a mm-hmm. question. I was doing a mission, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And this one person asked me a question about, like, prayer and discernment, you know? And I said, well, there's some things that, you know, when you pray and discern, like you just have to make a decision. They're between two good things. Like, does God want me to buy this house or this house? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't think God's stressing out about it, <laughs> right? Like you could pray and discern. You could weigh out the pros and cons. You can you can see like what's economically better. You could do all those things at the end of the day. Like if it's two good houses, just pick one. Mm-hmm. And if you pick one and it's not the greater of the good, it's just a good house. It's not like God's going to spite you and be like, ah, you picked the wrong house. I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to destroy it. Mm-hmm. We don't have a, you know, God of vengeance. He's like, of course you picked a great house. Like enjoy it. Like, I don't know. Like God's <laughs> not stressing out over, 
over over good things. You know? Yeah. You heard that noise? Oh yeah. You're getting excited today. I'm like using my hands. You fired up today. <laughs> I love it. So well, so like what the, I'm saying yeah. is like just say yes to Jesus and if it if, if you don't know exactly what to do, it's okay. Like just start following Christ. Well, and I think in leadership in the church a quality that is looked for. And again, I'm not speaking down on the way everything we do as a church, right? Or the people in leadership, all right? Because we do look for holiness as a quality. It's it's something people who choose pastors or bishops look for, right? However, there seems to be a discouragement of having enough space in our life to follow Jesus. And what I mean by that is we make ourselves so busy as a church in doing, 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 doing. You can't say yes to Jesus unless you're listening to him. Yeah, absolutely. And church is not something that's done. It's something that Christ does. And Christ is the head of every church. The bishop is the ordinary, the diocese, uh, the pope is the ordinary over the whole church. The church belongs to Jesus. Christ is control. And so if if we, for example, let's say, um, uh, like you're a, you belong to church parish, right? Because you're Catholic. Right. So let's say you just never listen to your pastor ever. Mm-hmm. So if every parishioner never listened to the pastor, how healthy is that church going to be? Not healthy. Like never heard what he had to say, didn't right. really care. <clears throat> so right now we have systemically a lot of people not caring what Jesus has to say. <laughs> right. And that's the effect we're seeing. On all levels. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's the head of it. Right. He's the head of the church. Yeah, no, absolutely. Not his not necessarily his laws or his teachings or I mean those are all important. Those are all part of how he governs the church as head. Right. But at the end of the day, his authority is in his word that he is speaking right now. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing is say yes. I think yep. oftentimes we look at Francis or like I can't live that type of life. And that's not the whole thing. We shouldn't look at people who are radically holy and feel guilty, like a bad guilt, but but let it challenge us to say yes to Jesus. Like that's the mm-hmm. first step. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this and what does holiness look like. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George Studio with Adam Conk. Sorry, I was getting fired up. I'm, I'm not sorry. I love seeing you fired up. So if you've ever been, you know, if you've ever seen me, like, actually talk, like, give a talk, I use my hands. I'm, I'm like a, I use my hands. I get fired up. You do get fired up, and it's beautiful. So we're in this tiny, tiny space, and my hands were flailing. <laughs> computers were flying. My computer and <laughs> the microphone and my headphones and everything. But I think because we're touching on the central issue. Are we going to follow Jesus or not? Yeah, and look, I'm not saying it's not hard. It's very hard. It's very difficult. But that's why we need systems in place to encourage us. And see, that's right. the point of the church. The yeah. point of the church is to, one, it's it's the place where Jesus is present today. Like, yeah. how do we follow Jesus today? He's in the church. Yeah. Okay? 
But two, the reason why there's more than one of us is because that when we are a strong community, it helps us follow Jesus better. Right. Right? Like, yeah, St. Francis and others, God will call them to go follow Jesus by themselves for a bit, and then that will attract others, and then a community comes out of those founders, right? Right. But for the most of us, for most of us, we follow Jesus as part of a community who's already following Jesus. Or should be. Or should be. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's oftentimes, like, holiness isn't something we do on our own. It, it's something that we participate in, in following Christ. But I'm holier because I have people around me who are trying to do the same thing, make me holier. And I think, you know, one of the keys is isolation of destroying our holiness. I mean, this is where the enemy creeps in. When we get disconnected from community, from accountability, um, Satan creeps in. I mean, you go back to what we were talking about, Judas. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see even the small stip- snippets in the gospel, how, you know, Judas was a little detached. He was a, he was a, he was a little drifting. He, he was... Other people had his ear, you know, the, the, yep. the Pharisees and the Sadducees begin to get he his ear. He hid his actions. He, he stole money from the purse. Stole Nobody money. He hid and, his actions. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when, when Satan creeps in. And I think oftentimes if I ever look at my life and say, you know, man, I'm a little off track, like sin's creeping in. Uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not all in. I'm, not, it, I'm drifting. Like I'm a, there's a little drift happening. Like my, my, there's a misalignment in my tires, you know, and, but when this happens over time, over time, over time, we begin to drift farther and further and further away. Satan creeps in, gets disconnected from community. And so when people ask is, how does someone in this top leadership position do this? They have completely drifted away mm-hmm. from accountability, from community, from people who are calling that thing to holiness. And here's what happens for leaders oftentimes. I think one of the, the greatest faults of a leader is that they are such in a role of authority that people are afraid to speak truth into their life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then if they do, they have the ability to not hear them anymore. Yeah, I'm just going to... I will no longer listen to you. I'm going to quit you. Yeah. <laughs> You're gone. Yeah. And mm-hmm. But what's the opposite of that? That's humility. The ability yeah. to... You know, I mean, Jesus was the Son of God. I mean, he was a Savior. And he had he had other people in his life, right? Yeah. I mean, he didn't need to be told what to do, right? You know, because he's God. <laughs> he didn't need other opinions. But <laughs> he never came into the world by himself. Right. I mean, he was born into a family, right? He even depended on a human being, Mary, for his very uh, conception. Yeah, like if she wouldn't have said yes, he had family. He had yeah. to, he, God was even brilliant enough to give him a, a earthly father and yeah. Joseph. He was raised in community. I mean, they you know that they traveled to Jerusalem in packs. People were watching out for him because they told Mary and Joseph, "Hey, your son, he's missing." Yeah. Like they, they were there was community. He lived in community throughout his ministry. And so like if Jesus did that and yet we don't, like we don't have friendship and accountability in church to help us grow in holiness. And so that that's a huge that's a huge piece. Yeah, and and I know for a lot of us in America our leaders are a big deal because we say they represent Christ to us, which is true. Um, but in another way, they don't replace Christ. And so the thing is, that community you're talking about, only Christ can build that community. Right. Only Christ can do it. Yeah. And he does it th- by the means he deems necessary. When he was on earth, he built 
different communities. He had his 12. He built a certain way. Uh, we read in the Gospels at Mass recently about the 72 who went out. That community was different. Um, he had friendships, like with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and his friendship with them was a different community. So there was multiple communities that Christ participated in, all different, but his daily one was the 12, right? His normal, I'm working with you to build the kingdom experience was that 12. That's true of all of us. We're all going to have different communities to belong to, but if Christ is not at the heart of each one, it is not helping us grow in holiness at all. And we need that daily experience of community as a very healthy one. Yeah. Because then we have the strength to bring greater health to the other communities we belong to that maybe aren't as healthy. And for most of us, that's our family. Right. That daily experience of with other Christians following the Lord, if, if it's not healthy, for, forget it. Yeah, I mean, we are who we hang out with. I mean, at, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, I love the analogy that, um, not even an analogy, but stories, you know, in the time of Jesus, you know, to be a disciple of someone meant that you followed that person around. They taught right. you. literally. You literally followed them, like walked with them. And one of the images that I love is that, you know, in those times, like, you know, dusty roads, you know, wore sandals, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you would walk into a town or you would, wherever you were going, you know, people would ask the question, whose dust do you have on you? Hmm. Like, who have you been following where the dust has been coming up from the road and it and it's on you because you've been walking behind them, hmm. right? And oftentimes the rabbi or the teacher would, would walk backwards, turn around as they talked and walked, right? Talking to his disciples, his, his followers. And th- there, there was a certain, like, uh, privilege, a certain honor, a certain, um, you know, sort of badge of like, whose dust do you have on you? Mm-hmm. That you walked with them, you know? And the only way that you you really know the person is is holy is that you have their dust on them. Like literally, like you're a disciple of Jesus. Like you walk close to him. I get really frustrated when people make judgments about people, but they've never spent time with them. Yep. Right, we're doing I, that you all know, kind of ways right now. You know, in certain ways, yes, yeah, someone gets, you know, does something legally wrong, right? Yeah, a criminal act. You're like, okay, they did a criminal act, but I still don't know the person. Right. But I mean, if you drill down, you know, like people are making judgments about you, about me, about anyone, but they don't spend time with us. Right. You know, and I can make judgments about someone else, but the only way you know someone is living a holy life is if you spend time with them. Yeah. Like you got like you don't know you don't know what their prayer life looks like or what they talk about or what they think about or what, how they act or how they treat people unless you spend time with them. And yeah. I think oftentimes like there are people who are completely innocent in the church. There are leaders who are doing really good jobs that that people are just slinging arrows at these oh, people. Oh yeah, absolutely. And those people might be on their face every day in adoration. They might be praying every day. They might be like serving the poor and like we're just people are just slinging arrows. Like you just don't know is what I'm saying. You don't because it's a it's a personal relationship with Christ that we all have and we're all held accountable to. And we need to remember that. You know, Jesus is gonna greet us all upon our death and we will be held accountable for how well we followed him or did not. Right. And I have nothing to say about how well you're following Jesus and what he's asking you to do. Because I'm not Jesus. He is the only judge to say Paul has been faithful, Adam has been faithful. 
<clears throat> so-and-so has been faithful. Even terrible sinners. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know what level of dysfunction and mental incapacity and whatever else limits their ability. And I don't know what ways they are following Christ. Because it's never, you know, if someone's following the Lord, there's going to be ways they fail and ways, ways they succeed. And sometimes the ways they succeed are so beneficial to the church and pleasing to Jesus that it outweighs the way we fail. So I don't know what, you and, know. And here's the crazy thing. To bring up a little bit more tension is that you can be a completely holy person seeking Christ and you could be an incompetent leader. <laughs> oh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, you could be just in over your head as a leader, but you're you're seeking holiness. Like, you love Jesus. You just don't. You just don't maybe know how to how to do it, and that's why we need community. Because, right. <clears throat> for example, if you, if you're in that situation, which I'm in often, feeling over my head, but given some task for the church or something like that, is that the more community you have around you, the more your own shortcomings or or uh, and I, undone I would have to by say the community. right community. Because I know a lot yeah. of leaders in the church and outside of the church who are really really good people really really good people who are who are seeking holiness who on the on the logistical end or business end are just not real competent because they don't have good people around them to help mm-hmm. them you know so there's this tension there and so i think when it comes to holiness and when it comes to even our work like like we are who we hang out with like we we we're as good as the people who are around us you yeah. know because we only have so many things that we can do on our own well, on that point, kind of analyzing the conversation, which is a great conversation, I love that you brought it up, Paul. But if we look at our holiness less like the fruit of our own work and more like the fruit of a healthy church, like I am holy because I belong to the church in a healthy way, that is my holiness, right? Um, because Christ is in the church and Christ is working in the church, then I think we can look at our life and ask ourselves this question, what is the healthiest church I belong to? Now, by church, I mean, you know, like the Eucharist is the Eucharist, no matter if it's a huge host or a little host or a morsel, it's all of Christ, right? And the church is the church, whether we're talking about the universal church or a local church or um, a family, you know, like a little host, or even a little morsel, like me and a buddy at work who both love Jesus. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. There Christ is leading people, guiding people, calling them together. And it's every bit of the church as the universal one, right? Right. And so I can become holy within a church, whatever that church looks like. And Christ has not abandoned me. He gives me the church. I don't... There's there's no Christian on earth who is completely isolated and has no way to interact with another Christian, even if it's through prayer only, you know, if they're in prison... <clears throat> for example, like there, Christ has not abandoned us. He calls us together. So to me, we all need to ask ourselves this question right now in the church. Where is the healthiest church I belong to? Is it my spouse and our relationship? Maybe it's not. Is it my buddy at work? Is it, uh, you know, but where is it? Where do I find, where do I follow Jesus most easily in my life within a community? And let that anchor infiltrate the rest of my life. Like, all right, so how do I take this experience of following Jesus and let that influence my marriage and my workplace? And um, to me, this is something we have to do in leadership in the church right now. It's like, okay, I'm frustrated with all these situations, but there's something going well. There's something 
that's the healthiest in the church that I'm in control over right now? And how do I let that impact everything else? Yeah. And to bring it full circle, I think we do what Francis did. St. Francis. Mm. We just first say yes, you know, and with the people around us, we start doing what God asks us to do. So it's not like the church that Francis built, St. Dominic's, went to waste. It became a great space for worship. But what ended up happening is God was like, yeah, yeah um, so I think you heard me wrong. <laughs> when I said rebuild my church, I meant like my people. Yeah. That's when Francis was like, oh, it's about people. It's about people, right? And and but that's the beauty. Like like the church was God's way of like 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 it worked out. Like yeah. a yes is great. And then at the more and more we say yes to Jesus, the more and more Jesus clarifies what he wants to do, how he wants to live, who he wants to be around, who he wants to us to infect with our with our mission. But we're all called to say yes and to step forward. We can't just sit back and think, oh, you know, I'm gonna be holy by osmosis. <laughs> like the grace of my baptism, the grace that Jesus gives me moves me forward to do something, to enter into prayer, to surround myself with the right people, even when it's difficult, even when I struggle, it doesn't matter. We got to say yes. Yeah. So anyway, great show, man. I uh, appreciate you. Thanks for getting fired up. I know. Like, I got to restart my computer, man. <laughs> so anyway, you can find the show on podcast. Um at discovertheartofliving.com. You can also go on that webpage and you can hit support. You could support the show uh, so we can keep doing it. Also have a book on there, Rethink Happiness. You can share that. We do appreciate you listening, helping out, and spreading the word. And we'll talk to you next week. God bless.